What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Matt DeSouza from Blockware Solutions to talk about mining. He wrote a really interesting mining research report that talked about the halving and the price uh, around the halving and the, the effect that m- old mining hardware has on the on the uh, price of Bitcoin around halvings. We have a quasi-shedding of skin with uh, older miner hardware falling off the network, particularly S9s uh, at this halving. So it's a very interesting conversation. We get into that. On top of that, we talk about macro um, and Bitcoin's value, Bitcoin being backed by uh, the mining industry, mining being the the backbone of Bitcoin, giving it value and, and actually backing it up. When people say Bitcoin's not backed by anything, uh, Matt doesn't believe that, so we get into that as well. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. They're helping you stack sats. They're helping you stack slivers of stonks, and they're helping you with their boost program. Let's focus on the sat stacking right now. All right, you can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, or sell sats if you so please. We don't recommend that here. We don't give out recommendations. Um, so do whatever you want. Uh, you can send your sats straight to a coin join, which is really dope. Uh, and on top of that, they're making sats the standard, slowly rolling that out. And hopefully they'll let you auto buy sats, hopefully soon, soon, TM. Okay, we mentioned that you can stack slivers of stonks too with Cash App Investing. Uh, if your favorite stonk is a little too expensive, you can buy as little as $1. And because Cash App's connected uh, directly to your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start investing today. Cash App or Cash App Investing is a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, use the code stacking sats if you haven't downloaded the app yet. Please use the code stacking sats. You're going to get $10. And I say please because another $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse doing great things in Chicago. Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> All right, use the code stacking sets and enjoy this episode. Take care. Don't let the cash out. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here uh, on a lovely Thursday afternoon here in South Jersey in my quarantine zone, uh, sitting down with Matt D'Souza from Blockware Solutions. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Marty, thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Well, I'm very much looking forward this, to this as well. I was telling you uh, I'm ashamed because Blockware Solutions wasn't on my radar until you guys uh, dropped this, this incredible piece on understanding Bitcoin market participants' vulnerabilities and the price of Bitcoin driven by miners, which we'll definitely get into. Um, during this conversation, but first, uh, very interested to learn about how you came to Bitcoin particularly and then uh, decided to start a company uh, block in Blockware Solutions. Totally. Yeah, I mean, in college uh, back in 20, 2012, 2013, I had heard about Bitcoin 
um, didn't pay it too much attention. Um, my roommate, Gabe Tumlos, he actually introduced me to Ethereum. So I actually uh, started off on the Ether side uh, and and really started investing in Web3 and Ether in you know, 2015, 2016 um, and saw the opportunity there. We, uh, in 2017, I launched a digital currency hedge fund. It was very Ethereum focused, uh, supporting some, I wouldn't say the ICOs, but other protocols. Uh, and, and I did that with a partner, Jim Mobile in 2017. We still run that. Um, and in late 2017, my brother's roommate from college kind of brought this opportunity to me. Uh, he, he was capitalizing on, a, on this arbitrage in the mining space, um, mining rigs from China to the U.S. And he, he brought it to my attention. And um, we, we set up Blockware Solutions together to bring uh, miners, mining rigs from China to the U.S. miners. Um, and that's, that, we've really built it out from there. That's, that's kind of how it kicked off. Um, and that really has helped me significantly because it allowed me to see this robust network of miners and, and deeply understand Bitcoin. Uh, it's been great for my fund because I've, I've pivoted significantly for the fund. Uh, in 2018, I've, I, uh, we really moved more towards like a Bitcoin thesis. Um, and, and we were able to do that early enough because deeply understanding the network effects and how the Bitcoin network works. Uh, it's, it's, so we'll, we'll get into all of that. Um, and then late 2019, I launched another fund. It's a Bitcoin mining fund called Blockware Mining. Uh, we're mining in the U.S. That's with my partner, Mike Stolzner. Um, and and what we're, the goal of that is to bring as much hash to the U.S. as possible. We think it's critical. You know, Bitcoin is a global phenomenon. We need decentralization, especially at the miner layer. Um, right now, about 65% of the hash power is in China. And, but the accelerated market is North America. There's a lot of miners deploying to the U.S. and Canada, and that's because there's, there, you know, the, the U.S. is the most energy abundant country in the world. Um, there's redundancy with internet, the grid, but there's, it's so rich with renewables, which I think you could probably speak to very well. As, um, but we're, we're offering, we're in the U.S., we have a facility in, in, uh, in the U.S. and we have miners on site and we're offering U.S. miners the ability to open hashing immediately. They could host at our facility. And, you know, we've ran this analysis uh, with where miners need to be to really survive and thrive through the having. And we're going to get them that electricity rate so that U.S. miners could, could continue to support the system. So we're getting, you know, we're going to get them in the high fives so that they survive um, and they're running the most efficient technology. It's about getting U.S. miners in the best layers. Um, so that's that's really our strategy. Yeah, and thank you for doing it. I think it's just as important. Uh, I think it's very important, excuse me, to bring hash rate and mining capital over to North America to distribute this, both for the long-term security of Bitcoin as a network, and then I think this is a national security issue for America in the long term as well, North America and being independent, energy independent, and then uh, uh, monetarily independent, I guess, the, the ability to uh, to check other other uh, stakeholders in the Bitcoin network. I think having hash rate on U.S. soil is important to, to ensure that in the long term. Um, but you alluded to two things there uh, in your uh, towards the end of your explanation of, of what you guys are doing. 
uh, you said high fives and high fives for, for you freaks uh, that didn't catch the reference. You're talking about high five cent uh, kilowatt hour or five cent per kilowatt hour, the, the energy cost for the miners. And uh, you also alluded to getting U.S. miners the best mining hardware, which sort of gets to the crux of the paper that you guys wrote that we were referencing earlier, is uh, two of the most important variables for a miner are the, the, the type of equipment and the price at which they acquire that equipment. And then uh, just as important, if not more important, the, the price of the energy that they're using to mine that hardware, or excuse me, mine Bitcoin. Um, so I guess we should jump into uh, maybe the evolution of the, the, the mining landscape and the hardware, the evolution from uh, S9s to S17s and now M20Ss and uh, a bunch of other more efficient uh, hardware that's coming to market and why it's probably important to make sure that if you're a miner, you're, you're acquiring some of that hardware particularly. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, there's, there's, we've broken up, you know, when, when you analyze the paper, we've broken up the network into eight layers. Um, <clears throat> layer one being sub two and a half cents, uh, layer two, three cents, four cents, five, five and a half. And then the last layer being seven cents and above. Now, the, the, the lower layers are still running old generation. So miners with two and a half cents or lower, a lot of them are still running old generation equipment. Um, and that's because they can. There's, there's an opportunity cost to depleting your, tre uh, depleting your treasury and your Bitcoin. So it, for, for some of these miners, it makes sense to run um, S9 or the, the EBIT, that 10 terahash or 13 terahash rather than selling off all of your Bitcoin and, and, and going and paying um, 2000 or however much doesn't plus for, for next generation equipment. Um, there's, there's an opportunity cost there, especially when Bitcoin's at these prices. So that's why these low, uh, lower layer miners are sticking, have stuck with next generation or excuse me, old generation equipment. And we've, you know, we've been on site, at the large Chinese mining farms in Chengdu, um, farms in upstate New York, uh, and we've we have our you know our client network is, is is global. We've got either either clients or or service providers, our partners. Um, they're in Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, um, China, parts of Europe, Mexico, South America, Canada. So we we when we put this paper together. Um, we really discuss with them understanding their electricity rates, understanding what rigs they're running, um, and for some of these large mines, uh, seeing it in person. Um, that was the that was the common denominator of individuals with three cents or lower. Um, they were running all this old generation equipment, and as having comes, they're going to have to, uh, you know, upgrade eventually. But I knew I know a I know a farm that raised. Family got this money and launched in Q4 of 2019, and they didn't go out and buy next gen equipment. They had 1.6 power, and and they went and bought all this old old generation equipment from China. So it's because it's almost free for them to run. So rather than it's it's a more efficient deployment of capital. So you could run different strategies, but. If you're if you're a miner in the U.S. and you're you know hosting at a hosting facility, you need to get uh, you know you're not paying for the build out. Um, you're just investing in mining rigs, so you need you're going to pay a higher electricity rate. 
know, your, your electricity rate gets broken on, um, into, uh, into essentially participating in facility build out, but really building by an electricity rate. And we want our US miners in, in a layer where they're gonna survive the having. And that's really what this question is about, uh, being, able to, being able to provide that value add for, for US miners. So the paper illustrates that and that's why they need to get in those layers. Now, so that's one thing I'm interested to learn more about is how, so how did you, how, how did you deduce the, the breakdown and percentages of the miners within each layer uh, coming to, like how were you able to deduce that only 5% of the hash rate has cost below two and a half cents per kilowatt hour? So I think their energy consumption is one of the highest, um, but they're the fact an S9 consumes 1400 watts, an S17 plus, uh, or, you know, we did the analysis off the, off the 52 or the 50 pro, and that consumes about 2100 watts. So it's about 1.6 times the watt consumption, uh, but four times the terahash. So, so the layers at the layers at four through six cents, they're the ones putting out a ton of hash because they're using next gen. Um, but, but the, sub two and a half cents, they're running, um, you know, every, every four S9s is one S17 and it's consuming, you know, that much more power as well. So, mm -hmm. so that's why their hash isn't as high. So when I say percent of network, we're discussing um, throughput, you know, ha how mm -hmm. much hash they're producing. And since they're running these old gen, they're not producing a ton of hash, but they're consuming a ton of power. And that's also good for, you know, what we're doing, where, where we're going, uh, you know, environmentalists, they project out, well, if the Bitcoin hash rate gets to X number, we're going to be consuming this much power. Well, that's already been busted because, because a lot of the machines that are coming online are, are far more efficient. So we're getting to those hash numbers without consuming that much power due to the innovation in the chips and the efficiency in the machines. Yeah. And when you run next generation equipment, you know, we, we have this break-even price um, schedule, and what's super interesting, if you're running uh, an S9 at three cents, you have a higher break-even price than someone running an S17 Pro at seven and a half cents. So you see how this has turned um, the game upside down, and a miner with seven and a half cents running the next-gen equipment has is going to survive better than a miner running an S9 at three cents equipment. Uh, energy. So when we go through having, when we go through these periods where Bitcoin sells off and it puts margin compression on miners, the miners at some of these, the, some of these miners internationally with three cents or four cents, they're going to have to shut off before the miner with next gen equipment at, at six cents or seven cents. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, uh, the having sort of induces the shedding of a skin like a snake does every once in a while. Exactly. I call it a healthy cleanse. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through this healthy cleanse of, of, of old generation equipment blowing out. Um, you know, Bitcoin's already at a stress point for the network, a lot of the old gen. So I think maybe the five, five and a half cent and lower are still around. Um, but they're all, you know, from five cents to three cents, five cents to maybe two and a half running old gen, they're going to shut off first. It's, it's like a, one of those firecrackers where it's 
those black cats. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Um, each you, you light it and it's just pop, 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 pop. That's probably how this is going to, that's how we envision this rolling out. Um, higher layers, you know, six cents, S9s, um, five cents, S9s. They're all going to, they're all going to get peeled off first. It's like an onion. They're going to get peeled off first. And then once they blow out, then it'll go to these, in, uh, these inefficient miners, you know, eight cents, seven cents, uh, six and a half cents running next gen. They're up next. So Bitcoin mining is really about surviving and thriving, being more competitive than, than the other miners out there and, and just acquiring different edges so that others shut off first, because when they shut off, difficulty is going to adjust. And when difficulty adjusts, those that survive, their margins are going to normalize and, and, and they'll be able to continue mining because they're going to get the Bitcoin from the miners, the miners that shut off, they were getting Bitcoin and now their Bitcoin will get allocated to the miners that survive. And now we have this strong layer of miners who are going to participate in this network for the long term. And as Bitcoin goes up in price, margins get better. So some of those miners that shut off can come back online or we get new miners who, who enter the ecosystem. So it's cycles, you know, whatever, whatever your, you know, equity markets, bond markets, they're all, they're all, they all have their cycles. Mining has its cycles as well. Um, and we're going to go through uh, a cycle, which is going to be a healthy cleanse for the long term. Now, I think we, um, we probably saw the, the beginning of that cycle uh, three weeks ago with the with the flash crash in price, and then we had a considerable amount of hash rate leave the network, and uh, we just had a sixteen percent downward difficulty adjustment, which was, if you're a miner, was you know, that was still alive, was was incredible for you. Exactly. Like right now, margins are significantly better for us. These are these are good times um, until the next adjustment, or but also Bitcoin's trending up. Um, <clears throat> there's there's really two there's two scenarios that put uh, one's an opportunity and one's a massive stress point. Um, we've gone through the stress point the past several months, but when when Bitcoin races up in price, if you're not mining, if you're not deployed, you're missing the opportunity, and that's why we want to be able to have mining rigs on site in the U.S. So miners can buy it rather than waiting two months for them to come in China, come from China. So if if Bitcoin starts racing up and all these miners start see the price and they chase it, they you know they start they start buying mining rigs from China and it takes two months to get here, and now Bitcoin starts to correct, but these miners are now difficulties going up. That's the ultimate margin compression. That's the worst case scenario. So now Bitcoin, Bitcoin ran up, a miner missed it. They bought the mining rigs, they're waiting in transit for two months. Um, and now they're plugging in their machines and others are plugging in their machines. And now difficulty is going up, but Bitcoin's correcting in price. Well, that's what happened quarter three and quarter four of 2019. Bitcoin, Bitcoin had topped out late June and corrected from late June all the way through, uh, you know, um, August, September, November, December, and the price, the price of Bitcoin went down, but all these mining rigs were getting deployed in September, October, November. So difficulty was going to Mars and we, we experienced extreme minor, um, you know, margin compression. 
we experience margin compression. And that's kind of like the worst case scenario you want. Um, and, and we just went through that. And, and now some of the, and Bitcoin's gone down even more because miners have to sell their Bitcoin to cover their expenses. And that's how we start to get um, minor capitulation. So those inefficient miners who kind of bought the top, didn't participate in, in, in the run-up in Bitcoin, now difficulties squeezing them, they're blowing out. Um, old generation equipment is blowing out. We're going to get the healthy cleanse and we go through having, um, and it's, it, it ultimately removes a lot of sell pressure because Bitcoin will start getting allocated to the strongest hands. And that kind of removes some, some supply from, from the network. You get less sell pressure and we can, we can position for the next leg up. Um, I think that might be, uh, you know, post having, and there's going to be a lot of friction there for more minor capitulation, but that's kind of what we're looking at and, and our expectations. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, as somebody who's been getting into mining or has been into mining for the last few years as well, it's one of the most interesting things that you learn is the timing of buying the actual machines uh, and then plugging them in and cutting the, the time from purchase to, to plug in is imperative. And so that's something that you guys are trying to, to help out with. So what is, what does your process look like when you're, when you're acquiring miners from uh, China and what's the, what's the margin that you guys take on top of that? What's that look like? So we're, I mean, we're, everything I just discussed, that was kind of like the unfortunate scenario. You know, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Like, look at what we're going through right now. We're in the opposite scenario now. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get, mining is very risky, right? The, the, it's extremely risky. There's, there's a, a, a lot of people lose money in mining if they don't do it right, um, especially at the retail level. So you, you always want to be extremely conservative. Um, and and uh, that's, that's for sure. And even Bitcoin itself, owning Bitcoin, I think it's one of the riskiest assets out there. So we, we want to be very um, conservative. Uh, but, you know, I think we're, I, I'm optimistic because I think we're entering kind of the opposite of what we just got out of. I think, I think Bitcoin has corrected. I think, you know, there's, there's a chance for, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into any price targets or anything like that. But if, if, if Bitcoin rallies post having and, and we do experience this extreme minor capitulation, I, the minor capitulation I'm quite certain is going to happen. Um, especially if Bitcoin is trading between 5,000 and 9,000 into the having, we're going to get that. The margins aren't going to be there for, for the old generation equipment and the high layer next gens. So we're going to get the, we're going to get the extreme minor capitulation if, if Bitcoin is at those in that price range. Um, and it'll take, it'll take a couple months for all of that to shut, you know, for miners to shut off. Um, that's because some miners, they, you know, they may have just bought these S 17s, um, and that's expensive equipment, right? So if you're tied in, in with a hosting contract, um, and you miss your payments, you need to, you need to, you're not going to just default and let them confiscate your equipment, right? You'll operate at a loss for two or three months. You're, you're a lot of human psychologies, a lot of human psychologies involved where you're hoping that this is going to turn around, um, if you're running a facility, you have all these assets uh, and it might take you two or three months to default with your landlord until they kick you out. Um, 
so it doesn't, it's not, it's not a light switch where you turn on or turn off. Um, and sometimes if you don't manage your treasury properly and you accumulated Bitcoin for four weeks while it was at 8,000 and now your bills due, and the last couple of days of the, of the month, Bitcoin sells off to 7,200 and you didn't properly uh, sell your Bitcoin or you didn't have a proper treasury management system. Now all that Bitcoin you accumulated for three weeks is worth 7,200, right? We see that all the time. So there's several reasons that, that exacerbate the sell pressure on the network and, and cause miners to, to shut off. Um, and, and we think after having, if Bitcoin is at the prices, that price range of, you know, 5,000 to, to 8,000, um, inefficient miners will, will shut off and it'll take um, a couple months of friction for that to happen. But ultimately, when you read through the report, you'll see that when inefficient miners start to shut off, it reduces cell pressure on the network um, after they shut off. After they shut off, it reduces cell pressure on the network because their Bitcoin is now getting allocated to efficient miners. Um, and we think that that will help, bit, uh, you know, to move the price of assets, it's, it's really, especially intermediate and long-term, it's net fiat in and net fiat out. That's what moves prices intermediate and long-term. People look at, you know, there, there's, when Bitcoin was at 10,000, um, there's, there's 1,800 Bitcoin released a day, 54,000 Bitcoin released a month. When Bitcoin was at 10,000, that's about a half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, US dollar worth a month. Funds and hodlers are not raising half a billion um, a month. Uh, when we get periods of like positive sentiment, then more miners are not selling their Bitcoin, they're speculating a little more, funds are raising more capital, and that's how we get those bull markets, like in, like in 2017. Um, so, so it's about net fiat in and out. People look at, people go, well, the exchanges are trading three billion. This miner stuff is, uh, you know, a billion a day or whatever it is. Um, the, the mining rewards are nothing. That's not true. All that trade is someone taking one side and then the other. It's, it's like ping-ponging. And it creates short-term volatility. Like what happened with the BitMEX trade? It's been a week, right? And we, we were, it, it essentially fell off the, the ledge at, I forgot, 72 or 7,800, whipped all the way down to 3,800. And where are we at today? 6,800 or something? Yeah, right around there. Yeah, so it's, it's short-term volatility. That's what all that is. Um, we're, we are more interested in, in what Bitcoin is going to do for the long term. I think it's a disruptive technology, a technology in its infancy. And, and you know, with our, with our mining fund, we're very, and, and Blockware Solutions, you know, we're, we're married to this. Um, and we're interested in what's Bitcoin doing for the long term and how can we support it and, and, and really improve the ecosystem. So, so we're interested in this mining cell pressure and how it affects the intermediate and long-term. Um, we're not interested in, in, in the chop and the day trade and the churn. Um, so that's really why we put out this, this analysis and, and how, how having 2020 is gonna affect it, how we think, uh, how we think we're gonna see this extreme minor capitulation but most importantly, conveying that uh, it's good for Bitcoin long-term um, because it removes this cell pressure and, and difficulty 
Dempsey's big brother. It's, it's, it's Satoshi's ingenious um, kind of corrective mechanism. It's a gravity where if, if miners are making way too much money, like in June 2018, or excuse me, June 2019, it's going to pull the network back. It's going to, it's going to pull it back. And, 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 and uh, because miners are going to be inefficient miners or, or any miners are going to deploy more mining rigs, difficulty will go up, margins will compress, but the inefficient miners will survive. Um, and on the flip side, when, when things get very poor and, and uh, margins are very compressed, inefficient miners are going to have to shut off and difficulty is going to bring the efficient miners uh, margins back because the inefficient miners shut off, um, difficulty adjusts, that Bitcoin gets allocated to the efficient miners that are there for the long term, and we have normal margins. And that's how you get uh, stability in the Bitcoin network. It's a self-correcting mechanism, um, and that's super valuable. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that self-correcting mechanism evolves as uh, the commodification of this hardware becomes more mainstream as like because there's only uh, right physics comes into play you can only get uh these chips to work in a certain way and to be as if only a certain amount of efficiency can be gained at a certain point so how do you how do you view the the commodification of of asics particularly in the long run is that and does that sort of tweak uh having analysis um one two three halvings uh, after this one absolutely it, it absolutely does. Um, you know, I, we think Bitcoin is a commodity in its infancy. And, and if we start getting uh, larger institutions involved, utility companies involved, nations, nation states involved, um, the, what are the bottlenecks that hold miners from, from being able to deploy machines, right? If someone, you know, there's, there's, there's some positive to this friction between China and the U.S., because people can't just buy $30 million worth of equipment and deploy tomorrow, right? Um, and just blow up difficulty. Um, but also it's, in, it's not in their best interest because, because if they just implode the network, if the suppliers implode the network, no one's making money. And the mining rigs are truly just a, the value of the mining rig is what's the future cash flow of the mining rig, right? So if, if, if those mining rigs don't make any money, then, then what is, why, who's going to buy the mining rig, right? So they need to, they need to assure that the future cash flows summed up of these mining rigs have a specific price. And if the market is efficient, then, then miners are going to want to buy it. You know, they'll put down their capex. They'll, uh, or they'll put, the, they'll purchase the unit on the front end. They'll project out. I'm going to accrue this many future cash flows. You know, the machine is has a two year or a three year life cycle or whatever or I could upload it with a firmware and, and, and gain more, or my electricity rate is very low, so the profit margin is greater. And, and summing up those future cash flows ultimately gives you the value of that mining rig. So if, if and, and that's what a manufacturer is able to charge. So if they go out and flood, you know, once again, this is, this is the markets protecting itself or, you know, Right. So if the manufacturer, the manufacturers just cannot flood the markets because difficulty will go up, everyone's margins will go down, mining becomes less profitable, and therefore the machines are worth less. And 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 if the machines are because because the future cash flows are lower. 
um, and therefore the machines are worth less um, and people aren't, the, the manufacturers have a cost of production too of the mining rig. Um, so so there's, there's protections out there. Um, and, and also, you know, I hear people that say, well, what if a nation state gets involved right now? Or, you know, I think all of that, I, I think it's very safe and people are going to be mining uh, and doing well over the next four to four to six years. We're going to go through another good cycle through having um, at, at least, you know, I, I can't predict the future, but yes, I, it, it, it's perfect competition. Um, it's commoditization and those things lead to zero profits in the long term. Um, that's just the basics of economics, whether it's Bitcoin mining or, or producing soybeans or, or whatever. So if you got perfect competition, um, that's, that, you know, that's the definition of it. But I think, I think right now it's, it's, it's a small market and, and it doesn't move the needle for a large nation state. Um, I, I know some utilities are looking at it. Uh, they operate quite slow. But it, we're going to have more competition in there. And, and there's checks and balances in the system, difficulty being the number one check and balance. And then also the manufacturers having to uh, maintain specific margins. Uh, that's important as well. So they're not incentivized to just flood the market with ASICs. Yeah, that's no, fascinating. I mean, I don't know if Satoshi saw, obviously, it was one CPU. He imagined CPU being being the, the predominant mining vehicle, I, I think, initially. And then I think over time he came to realize that this was going to become specialized. But even so, even if he didn't realize it off the bat, he created such a beautiful incentive system where it, it also, uh, between the stakeholders within the system with miners, users, developers, etc., and then it has his second and third order effects outside of the network, which is pretty insane to see uh, play out in real time. And it is crazy how early we are and and the fact that we're here working on this people think we're crazy but i think people will look <laughs> back 10 20 years well, and be like oh, oh my god we should have been on I, this it's funny i um i think people do think we're crazy i think we are a little crazy i was uh you know it's it's funny though because my partners in 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 utah i'm in chicago um and we were we're all shut down and we're getting our bitcoin still every every night and and i don't think he ever thought he was going to be doing this and i didn't i never thought i would be mining bitcoin and and we're just kind of laughing one night because we're like yeah uh everything is disrupted but our stuff is still going smooth um yeah. so it's it's pretty it's pretty funny to think about right um there's i shouldn't say funny i don't mean the, the situation with the quarantine is funny it's just it's just kind of um interesting how this isn't disrupted and, and the ecosystem and the network just keeps going as long as you have that electricity connectivity uh and 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 the internet connection they keep going um so that's really cool that highlights the the innovative power of this technology right and i guess that's one thing when you're talking about energy costs and miners needing the time uh their cells and uh, there's their sales of the Bitcoin that they mine so that they can hedge against their, their OPEX and, and basically cover their, their expenses. I think a big inflection point at some point in the future, I don't know when I'm not going to try and predict it, but there's going to be a point where utility companies and energy companies say, Hey, just don't even worry about 
cashing your Bitcoin into cash and then paying us in cash. Like just pay us in Bitcoin for, for the energy. And I'm, uh, I'm interested. I don't, I don't have a question around this. I just, I, I think about that a lot. Like when, when does that happen? When, when does the, when do the utility companies just say, Hey, just pay me in Bitcoin. You know, it's, uh, it's really about number one is what's, how do we, so there's, I think there's two components to that. Number one, they need, unless, unless the utility wants to speculate and just hold the Bitcoin and speculate, um, then there's really no issue because they'll just accumulate the Bitcoin and their long Bitcoin, they believe in it. Um, and that's great. That, that makes the barriers to that very low and, and that could get adopted. But if the utility is in the business of cash flow and, and wants things to be as frictionless as possible, it becomes more difficult. And those are things that are getting built out. But number one, you need Bitcoin to be less volatile because, because then the utility could, right? You, you gotta, you gotta match up your cash flows, right? Uh, the utility has some costs and, and the revenue is now Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin's got to hold its value to cover the costs. So when Bitcoin becomes less volatile, which it'll do, uh, you know, like I, we said, it's a commodity in its infancy. It's only 10 years old. Most other commodities are, are hundreds of years old, thousands of years old. There's, there's been markets for 150 years, right? There was, uh, the, the pits in Chicago were trading, I think, late 1800s, definitely, definitely the early 1900s. Um, soybeans, oil, uh, gold, the, the, the suppliers of, of those commodities, they're massive companies, multi-billion dollar companies, and, and, and they have trade desks, right? They're, they're every month for 12 months out or maybe 18 months out, they've hedged off their supply. They're the ones who are suppliers, they're creating the supply, and they've hedged off with robust futures markets and derivatives products. Um, and they're smoothly releasing uh, the product onto the market. Um, it's not, you don't get a miner watching Bitcoin going from 78 to 7,800 to 7,200 and then just puking their Bitcoin because, because it's human psychology. So we're, uh, you know, Bitcoin will mature um, and transition to that where you have, and it's happening right in front of our faces, right? With the CME future, um, options are coming out. We're getting more robust derivatives markets, but it still takes time. And, and then also when you get more um, institutional miners that come in and take treasury management more seriously, uh, I'm seeing, I, and this is actually cool. I'm seeing, I'm seeing really uh, custody providers, um, treasury management, uh, companies that are providing treasury management software and strategies, um, the collateralization of Bitcoin, those are all coming into the system right now and that's going to help miners um, do a better job of treasury management. And when you get that, you get less vol, we'll get less volatility in the price of Bitcoin. Um, and as, as exchange infrastructure gets better, right. Uh, circuit breaker, whatever it is, just better exchange infrastructure and infrastructure and trading infrastructure to remove some of this volatility. Um, what happens is Bitcoin becomes a better store of value. Right now, it's it's just not it, a store of value has to have remove some volatility, right? It can't be crazy, crazy volatile. And we're getting there. Um, you know, m markets discount the future. Bitcoin is it 
is, is a disruptive technology in its infancy. And, and, and that's when you want to be in it. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to buy all my Bitcoin when, when it trades, when it, when it's trading one or two pips, right? All, all the opportunities sucked out. You get involved and, and grow with the asset. That's when you want, that's when you want to get involved. So I think in the, you know, in the long term, in the future, a lot of volatility will get sucked out of Bitcoin and then it becomes an exceptional store of value. You know, you're, it, it becomes a true digital gold. Now we're, we're seeing more and more improvement and innovation um, and adoption and it's moving in that direction, which is great. Um, but, but right now, and, and that's, you know, you, in 19, in 2000, Amazon, Amazon wasn't selling product, you know, every, every product. It wasn't, it wasn't this robust e-commerce website, right? It was just books. So it takes time to get there. Um, how, how many, you know, it took many years for Amazon to get there. Uh, Tesla, like what's Tesla doing? It, it was just, it was just one car and, and, and now they want to be a battery company and, and, and solar roofs and really change, change the world and have self-driving cars and all that stuff. It takes years, but the markets discount all that in the, in discount the future. And, but it takes years for these disruptive technologies to come to fruition. And, and, and I think that's where we're at with Bitcoin. I think it's, it's, it's in its infancy. Um, it's setting up to be digital gold, uh, but it's going to take more time. And as volatility get, gets sucked out, uh, it'll become a better store of value and, and more people, not just the, the first movers, um, not just the first movers like us will participate, be participating, but, but you know, the, those next layers of individuals and investors will be able to start envisioning um, the possibilities of Bitcoin and then they'll start holding Bitcoin and, and adopting it as digital gold. And that's just, and all that is, is just, is just the way that technologies get adopted. That's just the life cycle of adoption of any technology, whether it's Bitcoin, a phone, electric vehicle, that's just cycles. No, I completely agree. And I think this is a good segue into the conversation we we're having before we hit record about Bitcoin's. Uh, a lot of people say it has no intrinsic value. It seems like you're going to argue otherwise. Uh, I find Bitcoin is uh, a safe haven asset because it is completely uh, separated from the traditional financial system, which I don't think is uh, as safe as a lot of people perceive that it is. Um, so even though it may not be quality store of value in terms of purchasing power for some people at any given point in time or at certain points in time like if you bought at 20,000 and you went all in uh, still today your purchasing power has been eaten away at a little bit but if you've been buying slowly but surely over time likelihood is that your purchasing power has increased but again uh, like you just mentioned the market cap is such that it's not really possible to have very low volatility we're still market is still pricing this this new asset um so uh sticking on the safe haven theme though uh you make a very good point made a very good point before we hit record that the bitcoin's distributed nature uh really drives home that it may have intrinsic value in the form of a financial system that cannot be shut down yeah so i you know you we hear it all the time um it's people saying that uh, Bitcoin has zero intrinsic value and is backed by nothing, right? Um, and I, I, I disagree with that. And I think, I think the, even the Bitcoin community 
they've they've all everyone just overlooks the miners. Um, Bitcoin is really backed by the ability of a decentralized network of miners to survive and maintain block validation, which establishes a consistent financial system where the monetary policy is dictated by code rather than central banks. I mean, that's what it, our financial system in the U.S. is backed by the U.S. government. Um, our currency is backed by the U.S. government. People have faith in the U.S. government. Uh, we have a strong economy. We have a strong military. We're going to be around. We're going to survive. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm always very bullish to the U.S. We're, we're the leaders in innovation. 70% um, of our GDP is, is generated at home. You know, it's, it's, we're a self-reliant economy. Um, so I, I have a lot of faith in, in the U.S. government and the U.S. currency. And when you look at what happened a couple of weeks ago, all other currencies rolled over. Um, once the U.S. equities rolled over, everyone else rolled over. But when people say Bitcoin has zero intrinsic value and is backed by nothing, it's just, it's just not true. Um, it's backed by this massive decentralized network of Bitcoin miners around the whole globe. This is a global phenomenon. Um, it, you know, Bitcoin miners spend billions on mining equipment, electricity, repurposed facilities, electrical infrastructure, um, and they own some of the most valuable energy contracts and assets in the world. Um, energy is, think about all the energy contracts, whether it's, whether it's natural gas, uh, whether it's um, uh, hydropower, um, wind power, uh, nuclear power plants. There, there, there is miners that are either own pieces of it uh, or, or have five-year contracts, 10-year contracts is some of the most, the cheapest power in the world. Um, so, so it's backed by this mining network that is decentralized in, in probably 50 plus sovereign countries. I mean, if you want to shut down the Bitcoin network, if the U.S. said we're shutting down the Bitcoin network, they can't just go to South America and China and Russia and, and, and Iran and the rest of the world and shut off every miner, hobbyist or mining farm. You can't do that, right? One nation state can't do that. So the power is decentralization and this global phenomenon. And the fact that these miners are, you know, they've, they've built out billions and they're spending billions um, and it allows them to continue mining. And, and what they're producing for us is this consistent financial system that where the coronavirus, you know, everything shut down the mining rigs are still running and it allows us to send Bitcoin transactions from, you know, peer to peer Bitcoin transactions. And those miners are still mining those blocks. So we have this consistent financial system and, and, and it's dictated, the monetary policy is dictated by code and it continues. And it's because of, because of the fact that it's decentralized. Um, so, you know, the miners are, they're the backbone of the, of the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, you know, that's, to me, that's extremely valuable. Um, and uh, I think it's probably, it could, it could be one of the most difficult networks. Actually, I think it might be one of the most difficult networks to end um, or to, to stop, right? Like it, the, you know, 2008, we were closed. Our banking system was gonna fail if we didn't get blown, uh, bailed out. Um, all these other countries, uh, you know, Argentina, I, I, I'm discussing 
lower tier countries, but their financial systems break down all the time. Um, so the, this Bitcoin network is far more robust than people give it credit for. Um, and, and, and ultimately you have the other core piece, which is improving. I think this is the risk and the failure point, but it's improving, um, right? This is a technology in its infancy. It's an ecosystem in its infancy, but we also have, uh, you know, the, the market determines Bitcoin's price, right? So when people say it has zero intrinsic value and is backed by nothing, well, markets determine the price, um, and, and Bitcoin has a, uh, you know, it has a liquid secondary market that is subject to price discovery, right? There's, there's exchanges that are global um, and anyone can participate and put their money where their mouth is. So those, those with the best information, you know, they're going to lead the price and they're going to discount the future. So you've, you've got a secondary, you've got secondary markets. Um, mar any market participants can participate uh, and the price of Bitcoin is not zero. It's much higher. So, so I just disagree with the statement. And I think, I think the fact that Bitcoin is this decentralized network and, and you have these miners all over the world who are selling the transactions, that's what it's backed by. That's the value. Um, and as long as, uh, you know, we're the, as long as these miners are incentivized to keep mining, that's what's valuable. Um, so they need to be able to sell their Bitcoin. They need to be able to off-ramp to fund their electricity. And, 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 and that risk is getting reduced. It, really, in my opinion, if, 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 if someone, you know, the Chinese government or whoever, uh, or, or the U.S. government said, shut down all the exchanges, that would be, that would create short-term, short-intermediate-term turmoil. Because now you're disrupting the secondary market. Um, and, and it's not going to allow miners, it may, it may hinder miners or, or, or slow down their ability to, to uh, off-ramp their Bitcoin and pay for their electricity expenses. And that, and that could be a risk. But, but that risk is getting reduced because this is a global phenomenon. We're getting international exchanges, you know, an exchange in Singapore or a UK-based exchange or, or a South American-based exchange. Um, and, and so that risk, as we continue, as the network continues and we build out, uh, you know, you, you want um, diversification or decentralization and exchanges as well. And when I say decentralization, I mean uh, uh, an Australian-backed exchange and, and, uh, and a China one and a Russian one so, so that no one, so we don't have single failure points. Um, and if we have that and people could access uh, uh, you know, off ramp from Bitcoin to fiat and fund their fund their operation, then they're going to continue mining. And if they can continue mining, then I think this is one of the most difficult networks to to to, to end. So, I think right. I think I think the whole network just kind of forgets about miners, and I think they're really kind of this backbone um, to the whole ecosystem, and they're they're delivering uh, value, a lot of value. Um, and that's what the system's backed by, and because it it it, it enables to have this twenty four seven financial system that's dictated by code, and it allows allows us to make payments um, peer to peer. Uh, and as long as as long as those miners are you know continue mining, we can we we could achieve that. No, I agree. It's de I mean, it's definitely backed by thermodynamics via the miners, right? Like the people are 
spending capital and energy to produce the Bitcoin. And I think, so a lot of people that knock Bitcoin for like not having intrinsic value, like the gold bugs will say, like it can't be used as jewelry or in, in, um, in chip processing or production, like gold is, has intrinsic value and that it's useful in that case. And they would argue that UTXOs, right. The, what, what you actually spend when you're spending Bitcoin don't, you can't do anything with them. And I agree. You can't do much with them. You, you, you use them as fees to get your transaction included. So that, that may be some intrinsic value there. And then refining via Schnorr signatures and the technical developments at the base layer, we're going to be able to do very interesting things with smart contracting capabilities and stuff like that. So UTXOs will have value in that regard as well. And, but I, I, like, so I think Connor Brown wrote a really good piece on like, you should just embrace like Bitcoin. When people say Bitcoin's backed by nothing, that's wrong. You just explain why that's wrong. But if people say Bitcoin doesn't have intrinsic value because you can't really do anything with it, I'd be like, one, you can do a few things with it though. Not anything crazy, but then two, it's actually good for Bitcoin, right? Because, uh, there's no opportunity cost for the use case. It's only going to be used as a store value medium of exchange. Like all yeah. like how houses are houses and gold have intrinsic value. And so they have competing use cases uh, with the store value use case. And so it actually reinforces Bitcoin's value prop and sort of drives more value to it. Cause like, Hey, you can only do a few things with this. And the biggest thing you can do with it is a store value. And that takes up 99% of its use case exactly it's 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 digital gold we live in a we live in a digital world and, and after you know we're, we're moving more and more in that direction um i think i, I think uh millennials have just surpassed baby boomers right we do everything off of our phone um and the generation under us they're going to be completely digital so uh, you know i think i think bitcoin will likely eat some of the market share of, of gold um and i think it'll bring new participants into the store value play uh, due to the digital properties. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't need to do anything. I mean, that, that's why the transaction fees are not subsidizing the network. It's because, because people don't really want to do anything with their Bitcoin. They want to accumulate it. They want it to be a store of value as the technology, uh, matures, it's gonna, it's gonna become less volatile and it will become a better store of value. And then users will, be more attracted to it. Um, so, so I think it's going to be being just digital gold is, is perfect. It's an excellent use case. I don't need to go. I, I can, I could, I could acquire it quickly. I own the private keys. Um, I don't need to, if I want a hundred thousand dollars worth of gold to move that, that's extremely difficult. And it's gotta be in vaults. I gotta pay insurance, uh, the carry all of that stuff. Um, if I'm in, you know, there's, there's, the confiscation issue, if, if, you, if you're in China or other countries and you want to move your, your gold out of there, how, you, how are you going to do that uh, in, in, in a country where there's capital controls? Um, you can do it very simply with Bitcoin. Um, so there are several, the, the portability is, is, a, is a significant value add. Um, so so there's, there's properties where, and one, like I said, once Bitcoin matures, and volatility gets sucked out, there are properties where, where Bitcoin is a better store of value than gold. Um, it's got to mature. It's not there yet, um, but I could see that. And, and ultimately, it's a market. And, and as, as millennials and the generation under us 
become more significant market participants um, from a purchasing power and a, and a population, um, you know, a, uh, just as population, the use case becomes even better for Bitcoin. So. No, I agree. And I mean, what's going on now outside of Bitcoin and the traditional financial system with the, the Fed inducing QE infinity, opening up the, the uh, breadth of purchase or assets they can purchase from last cycle is just mortgage backed securities and treasuries. Now they're adding commercial real estate backed securities, student loans, car loans, uh, stocks are on the table not officially able to do that yet but that probably will come at some point in the future uh it seems that um i mean you we were talking about this before you record now like six trillion where the fed's monetary base is approaching six trillion dollars right now but that's people think that's big but it, it could get up into i've surmised based off of conversations i've heard on macro voices between luke roman and Eric Townsend that like basically for the fed to keep, uh, the economy in stasis, let alone growth, um, especially with our demographic shift coming, they're going to have to basically support the whole, uh, black pool Euro, Euro dollar market. And he's surmising that they're going to have to buy up to like $47 trillion in assets, which is insanity. And that bodes very well for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's a, I mean, uh, the world has just inherited uh, a horrible situation. Um, you know, we got to be optimistic and, and we just need to identify that our leaders are trying to do the best for us. Um, and things are, nothing is perfect. And, and a lot of this stuff is kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, QE, QE really exacerbates income inequality. Um, it, just kind of identifying the U.S., if the bottom 40%, what QE is doing is it's buying up assets and it's going to increase the price of assets. So, so whoever owns assets, they're going to do very well. Um, assuming that we have something that plays out like 2010 through 2019, that amazing bull market, um, it, it pushed up the value of assets and whoever was owning assets did extremely well. Um, now, the issue is, individuals in the lower income classes don't own assets. They don't own houses, they rent. Uh, they don't have discretionary income to buy stocks. Uh, they, so they don't participate when assets go up. Um, they're not participating in that value accrual. Uh, you know, individuals in the middle, upper middle class, they have 401ks. They're putting their money in stocks. They're, they own houses. Um, so when assets go up, they accrue some of that value. And then of course the very wealthy, they're very efficient with their capital or they sh should be. Um, and, and they, a lot of their money, a lot of their net worth, it's in assets. And, and so they're going to do very well, um, as, as the fed is buying assets, uh, and pushing up the price, right? What, what the fed is doing is it's like a massive buy, a massive buy wall. They're going to come in. And they're going to buy up a bunch of assets and it's going to put, you know, it's going to, it's, it's going to provide support to the markets and push up prices. Um, and, and as you said, I completely agree. Six trillion sounds like a massive number and it sounds like we're towards the end, but in reality, this stuff is not, I think it's less about dollar amounts and more about cycles and processing. Um, this is all going to be a, 
a long process and there's going to be more and more buying of these assets over, I, I would bet, you know, I, I, I would assume um, a couple of years of this um, and, 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 you know, I'm, 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 I'm making statements that makes the Fed and, and our government sound bad, but, but that, and, and I think that's unfair. Nothing is, nothing is black and white um, because ultimately they're, what they're looking to do is save jobs. Everything is about jobs, right? So, so who gets hurt the most if, if, if all these jobs are lost? It's, it's, it's the bottom 40%, right? So they're really doing this to inject capital to, to small businesses um, so that jobs are kept uh, and maintained and, and, the, and to restart the economy. So I think, I think we got to remove a lot of pessimism and a lot, you know, a lot of people are just very negative. Um, and I think, I think we have to like support each other, right? Uh, there, it, it, uh, there's positives from that's from, from if, if the QE is, if the money is being spent properly and efficiently, um, and it, it keeps, it keeps people, uh, maintaining their jobs. That's, that's significant, right? Um, we need to fight unemployment. We need to fight all these, all these jobs lost. So I, you know, I'm, I guess I kind of punted there, <laughs> but there's yeah. nothing, nothing is, nothing is simple. And, and there's a lot of things that go into these, these policies and the intentions. Um, but you know, how does that play out for Bitcoin? Uh, I think ultimately there's a lot of market participants who are going to go, <clears throat> who are going to just say, uh, we don't like the, we don't like the, the, we don't like the federal, uh, the, Fed, the Fed's policies, and therefore they're going to start looking at this parallel financial system. They're going to go, what, what's this Bitcoin technology? It, it has its own monetary policy. We can't, we can't manipulate it. Um, that's interesting to us. So it could, it could bring, you know, uh, 2008 spawned Bitcoin, right? It, it was a creation of Bitcoin. That, that event is what made Satoshi create Bitcoin. 2020, I think, is going to be uh, the narratives that come out of, of 2020. And, and I think it's, it's going to bring a lot of market participants um, and speculators into the Bitcoin ecosystem and, make, and have them look at it because they're going to go, what is this, what is this new technology? Um, the, the policies, the monetary policies dictated by code. Um, we can't manipulate it. We're in a society where where you know the economy's failing right now let's allocate a little to this um and 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 when you get what's happening in 2020 it allows these speculators to imagine the possibility of bitcoin coming to fruition and when you get a tiny technology tiny a tenth of gold a third of facebook a tiny technology and you start getting these market participants injecting capital into there and, and the technology is in its infancy and you have a, you layer in a, a robust secondary market with liquidity, right? We have these exchanges, usually Amazon or a lot of these tech companies, they don't go public for, for 10 years or, or however long, right? It becomes an idea. They go through several raises um, and then they eventually go public. Bitcoin should have been, should not have been trading it um, immediately, right? If it went through, there was like a, 
and, and you know, most other innovations doesn't trade for a while. That's why that's also why Bitcoin's so volatile because it's so it's so early. Um, it, you know, usually a lot of these technologies they're they're private for ten years, and then Goldman or whoever takes it public once it's more mature. Um, and Bitcoin, it's it, it it had a secondary market immediately, and right now it has uh, a fairly robust secondary market internationally. So when you layer in speculators that start to be able to envision the possibilities of this getting adopted, you have a secondary liquid market. Um, and you allow them to speculate and, and they can start to see the potential of this, um, that's really how you can get these parabolic bull markets. Um, and that's why we're excited about it. Um, we, think, we think mining is a great way to capture the opportunity. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're, very, uh, we're very optimistic. No, I am as well. well. And I go back to like the Fed policy and stuff like that. It's like, the you know, I wrote about it yesterday in my newsletter. Like, show me the incentives, and I'll show you the outcome. The incentive of the current system is just because it's a debt-based fiat monetary system is growth at all costs. So that's why they have to print. That's so the outcome is at the end of the day, in the long run, the Fed's balance sheet, the monetary base is going to expand exponentially, uh, just to service the interest on the debt that's been accrued to make the money run, uh, and though to keep an optimistic tone to it. Thank God Bitcoin exists. And I think you were saying, Hey, maybe 2020 is the year that people start to look at Bitcoin. I mean, I think that got proven out. Uh, even though Bitcoin's price fell considerably on March 12th, Coinbase came out this week and it's just one indication, one company, but they said they, the amount of inflows they saw uh, from retail investors was, was massive the biggest they've had in quite some time. So that's actually encouraging. And so another thing that comes into play there, if, so the Fed, show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. The Fed has to do all this or the system falls in on itself. And yes, they have to do QE to save jobs, which is, yeah, it would be terrible if 40% of Americans lost their job. I mean, today's print was pretty ridiculous at 6.6 million. And that's also the incentive. Like if they're going to give all these loans and stuff like that, people are just going to fire their employees because they know they're going to be able to get, get a, a safety net. Um, but Bitcoin provides an opportunity and this is people laughed at it for years, but I actually tweeted out this morning. I wouldn't be crazy to me if it came to fruition, if you have a quasi speculative attack on the U S dollar because Bitcoin exists. So you have all these retail investors getting a little Bitcoin with that unemployment money that they're getting. And so they have a lot of debt. That's the country's under a lot of debt. And as the U S dollar, I'm not saying it's going to happen anytime in the near term, but the the end goal of this monetary policy, not the end goal, the end, uh, the what is inevitably going to happen is hyperinflation at some point. There's there's no way you can print this much money, hand out this much money, and not have prices rise at a significant rate. Um, but if be- people are able there's to one, there, there able is to get into fact. Bitcoin at the same time, like the 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 value of the amount of Bitcoin they bought would. Uh, would increase significantly in U.S. dollar terms. They'd be able to use a portion of that to pay off their dollar-denominated debts in the future. I'm not saying that's going to happen this year or anytime soon, but in the long run, I think that is the inevitable outcome of of just the way the system is built. No, I, yeah, I think it's it's a uh, the policy. Everything is just a it's just kicking cans down the road. 
that's really what the strategy is. It's kicking cans down the road. So that, that eventually, it, I don't I just don't, I'm not one to argue with math. <laughs> so, it, you know, that's, it, it's not sustainable. Um, I, I don't know how long um, they could keep it up and, 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 and juggle the balls in the air, but, but it's really a, it's really a strategy of kicking cans down the road and just pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. Now, I don't know if they could do it for five years, 10 years or 20 years or more. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the markets will tell us that, but, but that's really, I agree with you. That's what's going on. Um, so yeah, probably doesn't not, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they contracted their balance sheet from 4.2 trillion. I believe they took maybe 500 billion out of the markets when they started, um, when they started winding it down QE and you had the spasm in the repo markets. And that's why we're already 25% above where we were at the height of, of QE after the last crisis. Um, it's insane. It's a very interesting time. I'm very happy Bitcoin exists and that we're a part of it right now and that people like you are building out mining infrastructure to, to make sure that it sustains itself so that we have, uh, a, a safe haven, a safety net in a uh, completely separate financial system if ours does implode. Again, I'm not, I'm, I probably am an anarcho-capitalist at the end of the day, but I'm not like, I don't <laughs> want, I don't want the world to go to shit. I don't want people starving on the streets. Nobody wants that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for a smooth transition. Uh, and I think Bitcoin provides that opportunity. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been ripping it for like almost an hour and 10 minutes now. Is there anything, uh, you guys are working on that you want to, um, talk about before we wrap up here? Um, I think we hit on a lot of it. Um, you know, I think, uh, we're excited about bringing as much hash to the U S as possible, trying to decentralize the network. Um, we're really excited about our offering, uh, in, in, uh, with our hosting facility, uh, U.S. miners are going to be able to get up and hashing within 48 hours. We have S17 pluses on site. Uh, they'll get electricity rates that are survivable. Um, so, you know, as you said, five, five, eight, five point seven five. Um, we just want to work with these these miners and uh, position them to get through having, um, and, and you know, survive beyond having. So that's that's really what we're working on we've been focusing on that significantly and the most the most exciting part is we've partnered with a group uh navier uh they they run i think they run probably about 12 percent of the zcash network 10 15 of dash Siacoin. so they're just amazing technologists we respect them a lot um so we're really layering in uh, exceptional management of the mining rigs um, and having access to it really removing the friction of, of dealing with China, um, having to run your own operation. We're removing all that friction. So we have a, you know, we have uh, a service that, that allows miners to, to, to mine in the US at exceptional economics um, and, and remove the risk of having to run your own operation. It's, it's great for institutions uh, and it's great for the retail. We're, we're taking care of the retail too, so. Bang, bang, let's bring. Let's bring some hash rate to American soil. It's about goddamn time, <laughs> freaks. There well, Matt, we go. Matt, I really appreciate your time, man. I'm, uh, I miss Chicago. Tell Chicago <laughs> I said what's up. 
I will. You're coming once we're once we're uh, done with the quarantine. Come out here. Um, amazing food out here, and and the timing should be good. I hopefully hopefully we're done with the quarantine as soon as possible, and we're right into the summer. Just um, yeah, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna take advantage of at least a couple of the hundred days of summer in Chicago this year. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thanks for having having me on. Um, really appreciate it, and uh, you know, looking forward to continuing the conversation. Not me as well. I appreciate you coming on. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.